Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, again, this is our Smart Future podcast with Dr. Marv Langston and Jim, myself, Jim Petrosini. And today we have the honor of Graham Plaster. Um, Graham, welcome. And would like to have you do a little introduction to yourself, a little background before we get started. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. Real pleasure to talk to uh, your audience and go down uh, some of these rabbit holes that we're all passionate about. My background is I graduated from the Naval Academy in 2002, so right after 9-11, and went to sea on the USS Reuben James in the Reuben Gulf, supporting the Lincoln Battle Group, and uh, came back to uh, Hawaii, where I was stationed, and then had my second sea tour in San Diego, where I was part of Destroyer Squadron 1, overseeing the build-out of a bunch of destroyers. Uh, went from there to the Naval War College, where I was the assistant dean of students for three years. Uh, and then got a master's while I was there at Salve, Regina, focused on social networks in uh, Iran. So out of that, I got picked up into the Navy's Foreign Area Officer Program. Uh, so it's kind of the diplomatic core of the military. Very small program in the Navy at the time, only a couple hundred uh, FAOs uh, were in the program. So I went to learn Arabic at DLI. And uh, then I went to the Pentagon from there for three years on, in the Army staff, the G357, doing Navy liaison work for the United Nations. So traveled back and forth to Israel, Jordan, Kenya, Egypt, and uh, Iraq for, for those three years, uh, doing some, uh, some, some liaison work between the United Nations, the State Department, and the NGOs that were there. Then I got out in 2013, started a company uh, to build a social network for those who are in national security. And that company is called the Intelligence Community Inc. Um, it's still going to this day, but really exists more like a, uh, almost more like a nonprofit because it really provides a service uh, to connect people rather than uh, I would say a, a business per se. Uh, but out of that um, experiment uh, as an entrepreneur, I, I started to do a lot of other things. And I worked at the Pentagon as a policy advisor for six years. I was a vice president of Alaska Data Corporation for about two years. And then I advised a bunch of tech companies uh, that were trying to get into national security uh, from the non-traditional space. And, uh, and that brought me to where I am now. So just a month and a half ago, I started up as the director of Nautilus, which is a new public-private partnership between Naval X, which is the Navy's agility uh, organization, and then Defense Works, which is a 501c3 in Niceville. Florida, which some people might know, DefenseWorks runs SoftWorks and a bunch of other innovation hubs that are in partnership with various uh, government agencies. And so I'm really excited to be running Nautilus, and happy to talk about what we're going to be doing here uh, and, and how that supports the Navy and, and Marine Corps missions. Yeah, Graham, I think the first time I connected you was on the intelligence community. I was, I was a member and it was good stuff. Um, yeah, maybe drive down a little bit on uh, Naval X and, and Nautilus and kind of what some of the objectives of it is and, and where, where it's going or the, maybe over the next six months, what, what are the hot things that are going to happen with it? Yeah, sure. Um, we're, we're still pretty uh, early to some of the conversations, but the way it works is a public-private partnership uh, or a PIA, uh, a, a partnership intermediary agreement. Uh, is a document that allows for the government to, to utilize uh, a uh, nonprofit partner like DefenseWorks to do all kinds of things uh, and extend its reach and its capability. And so what 
Defense Works has traditionally done is to host a lot of events that are kind of matchmaking events uh, that bring war fighters into uh, a conference room with uh, various tech companies or maybe academics or maybe even people from the national labs or any of the innovation programs that you're all aware of. Putting them all together in one space, do a little bit of design thinking and a lot of basically just uh, hosting you know, the conversation. And out of those events, and we've run a lot of different types of events, and we have formats that we use. Out of those events, we, we gather metrics, we foster relationships and collaboration between companies, and then we provide recommendations back to the government. And we do all of that as a neutral party uh, to the event. So, you know, there's no, we don't have a dog in the fight. We're already forward funded by the government to do it, almost like it's a grant. And, uh, and we, we step in and just host, host events. So one of the events that we do is called a collaboration event. And that's basically kind of like a, uh, invite a large group of people and come up with a new idea. And then another event we do is called an assessment event, which is government knows a little bit about what they want. So we kind of down select and we bring a, a smaller group into the space and we start to drive towards, you know, an outcome. And, and all of these events are, have, have worked really well for some of our other hubs, especially at Softworks. So some of your listeners might be familiar with that. And the best way for anybody to get involved with any of the events is to go to the website for the hub. And for us, that's nautilus22.org. It's a brand new website. And just sign up on the form there. And that puts you in our database so that we can invite you for free to come to these events. So we don't charge anything to companies. It's basically all funded by the government. Marvin, <clears throat> I was going to say a fascinating background, and uh, I didn't know about Nautilus 22 or the, the defense excellent work that you're doing, and that it was operated in a grant format like that. So that's a, it's pretty exciting that the government's opened up like that. Yeah, it's not technically a grant. It's, uh, it's called a PIA, uh, the Partnership Intermediary Agreement. And uh, there's, there is, if you go to nautilus22.org, in the FAQ, you can kind of learn a little bit about what a PIA is. There are other organizations besides Defense Works that have PIAs uh, with uh, the government, and uh, it's you know, kind of a little-known uh, mechanism for engaging with the private sector. And, and Grant, Graham, do they do they see like uh, setting up like asynchronous comms? Will there be like uh, channels? And and again, uh, I'm, what I'm finding this hybrid model after post-COVID, where um, I was just up at the Naval Surface Warfare Center in Port Wainimi. You know, they're only going into the base once once a week. So, you know, trying to get people together um, has it, been a challenge. So I see kind of both virtual and when, when available on site sessions, but that definitely the ability to have some kind of uh, collaborative environment would be helpful. Yeah, the innovation hubs through COVID have done a blend of virtual and live events. And um, I think everybody, uh, every company and every government agency has grown through this period to be more versatile, which is good for, you know, I think good for leading organizations and good for uh, technology. You know, we're looking learning how to use technology more effectively through all the pain points. But when it comes to this, our, our particular hub, we are trying to get back towards live events and we will certainly be uh, doing some in the near future. Uh, and we're, our headquarters are in Arlington uh, in courthouse and we have uh, a relatively small footprint, just a couple office spaces over on Wilson Boulevard. 
and then we have the the ability to uh, actually lease space for events or utilize some uh, of the smaller spaces we already have included in our uh, our uh, package here at the industrial space. Yeah, and we can. What are we the, can, oh, go ahead. I'm just going to ask, what are the key focus areas you expect to cover over the next several events? It'll depend on the Navy Marine Corps, if what, what types of events they would like to do. We've had some initial conversations and uh, nothing's locked in yet, but uh, they align with all of the core technology stacks that you know that the Navy Marine Corps are interested in. We are focused more on the, the, the smaller side. You know, we're not going to be innovating the, the new submarine or the new uh, missile system. Uh, but, you know, certainly anything in the autonomous world or the, or the uh, Internet of Things, uh, you know, it might be something that we bring companies together. And what's neat is that we can actually encourage companies to work together. If, if there's a way that you can synthesize technologies between different, you know, maybe they didn't know if they put their two technologies together, they can produce a product that government wants. Or uh, we also have the ability to do uh, rapid prototyping. So uh, if a company comes in and they have something, but it's not quite right, we can work with the Navy and Marine Corps to help them tailor it. So Graham, any, any discussions to align with these uh, DevSecOps software factories that are standing up and you know, there's Project Blue out of the submarine community, there's the Forge out of the Aegis community, the out here in San Diego, we have the Overmatch software armory for Project Overmatch. Um, you know, and we're seeing like Aegis wants to populate outposts across all the surface warfare centers. Um, you know, so that 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 those are the factories in theory that they'll be built moving more towards, you know, platform as a service and software as a service and trying to go faster. Yep. Yeah, I think all of those initiatives are fantastic. So, you know, I'm in regular communication with all the tech bridges for the Navy, and those all fall under Naval X and allow Naval X to have a great reach around the world to not only uh, source technology for around the world, but also be in touch with the sailors and Marines and, and the pain points and that they have around the world. So as far as supporting them or other initiatives that are designed to bring innovation into the Navy Marine Corps, we're all about assisting and supporting that and if there are ways that we can collaborate on events virtual or live anywhere in the world uh, we're happy to have those conversations so how, how do you you're only working with the, the dod on this are you doing more work with the army the air force or the navy or how is that waking shaking out so our our Baseline funding is coming from Naval X, but uh, what what uh, happens is uh, there are additional funding lines that can come in on top of the baseline, and they can come from anywhere. So if the Navy says, "Hey, we'd really like to do a collaborative project with the Army or Army Applications Laboratory or, or you know something like that," then they can come together and come to us and say, "We'd like to do a combined funding uh, for for a uh, a project." And then each project that we get funded needs to have some sort of problem set in it. Ideally for us, we don't engage with the project unless there's some sort of pathway. So uh, if the government comes to us and says, we'd really like to find a solution for X, they're like, okay, if we found you a solution for X, is there gonna be a pathway? Is there gonna be some funding potentially? Not, not to make the government commit to say, yeah, we, we we're definitely going to buy, but we say, well, if we bring you, we don't want to bring in a bunch of companies 
spend their time and effort and then they you know figure out how to uh, tailor their technology for the government and the government's be like actually we don't have funding to buy it. we love it but we, we can't buy it so all, all of the uh the innovation theater that can happen around brainstorming we, we want to avoid that we want to just do the activities that are going to actually solve problems that get funded do you find yourself competing with the likes of MITRE or Applied Physics Lab? I mean, I haven't seen that yet. I did ask that question uh, to some of the other hubs. And from what we've seen, I think uh, there, there's some pretty good synergy with FFRDCs and, and the larger uh, entities, just because they're not hosting the same types of events and they're not aggregating the companies. You know, they might be writing some great research and aggregating information for the government clients. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, you know, maybe some of their reports that they're writing are have some uh, overlap with some of the metrics that we pull out of our events, but, but they don't tip, they don't convene the types of uh, events that we convene. Have you run across Brett Vaughn in the AI side for the Navy? I have not met Brett yet. Well, you mentioned the bridges, and I think he's been involved in those bridges. He works over at ONR and with the Pentagon, but he's been the Navy's AI evangelist for the last several years and trying to work on massive innovation around AI and ML. Well, that's great. Yeah, I've been on the uh, working groups for uh, uh, ATARC, uh, which uh, for their AI working group and their quantum working group, which has had, you know, back before the Jake uh, kind of was absorbed, um, has had uh, a relationship with the Jake uh, to do a little bit of the advising there. And some of the tech advising I was doing before coming to this role was with AI companies. So what are I, your I would, thoughts love to, I would love to meet Brett. Well, maybe we can make a connection, but what are, what are your thoughts on the change in the DOD level of this uh, Jake going over into the, and the, and the AI stuff going into the senior DOD level? Acquisition I, you know, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of depth knowledge about why the restructuring, but there's no doubt that um, AI will play a pivotal role in the future of warfare. So whatever they need to do to, to streamline, you know, the organizational structure or the funding, you know, I'm, I'm fully in support of that. So Graham, just a thought we're, we're seeing like a huge talent acquisition problem across uh, you know the Navy, both on the government and on the industry side. Any any thoughts? You know, obviously the goal here is to educate people on technology and the trends and specific technologies. But maybe a subset of this is to kind of motivate people to kind of either focus on specific technologies or you know become gurus in AI or take you know younger interns or you know take soft junior level engineers again. To, to try to retain them in our industry, right? As opposed to, you know, I, I started at Niwick Pacific and now I got an offer from Google. I'm gonna go off and work for Google. So just yeah. just, uh, just maybe maybe an offshoot of, of, of what you're doing. Yeah, I, I've, you know, been kind of part of a little bit of the workforce of the future conversations over the last five, 10 years. Uh, and it's certainly the right conversation because, um, everybody knows especially if in the defense contracting world that uh, it's a very limited pool of high-tech high-cleared talent if you're going to try to do things in cyber uh, or really any kind of technology and want them to have high clearance then you're going to be fishing the same barrel as every other defense contracting company 
And I've had conversations recently with uh, various people in that specialize in clearances to try to figure out if there's any innovation around that you could bring technology to bear on uh, the innovation uh, on the clearance process to try to accelerate that a little bit. Yeah, just um, just to, just add DocuSign so they don't you know you don't have to email a form and it takes five months to get the form signed. Right, right. Anyone who's been through the process of trying to get. Um, you know, uh, a, a mortgage, you know, pre-approved for a mortgage, you know that there are different kinds of low-level technologies that can accelerate some of the, uh, you know, the, the process. Uh, but, you know, uh, so the people that are very smart on clearances have been very aware of those uh, problems for a long time. So I won't pretend to be an expert, but the workforce issue is, is a uh, poignant problem and it's an acute problem that, could be addressed through some of the things that we're doing uh, through defense work. So we do a number of STEM and STEAM programs at, at the high school level. And this is for charitable work uh, that we do because we're trying to cultivate the workforce and create uh, talent pipelines. So, and we, we leverage a lot of, uh, across all of our hubs, we leverage a lot of interns. So we reach into the university programs and invite, and a lot of the interns end up uh, working for us full-time after we do an internship. So we see that as a great recruiting tool to bring uh, tech talent and uh, just patriotic people into that ecosystem. Generally, what I've seen is kids are interested in STEM if you engage them the right way. But it, if it's boring, you know, when, when they're in high school, then they're, they're just going to steer toward the thing that's the most interesting to them. So it's there's a lot of work that has to be done to kind of recruit you look at how the Marine Corps recruits, you know, at that level, and they've done it so well, you know, as far as really stirring up the, um, the excitement, the adventure, you know, the mission, the purpose. Uh, if we were to have some sort of JROTC program for cyber, and I have seen some of those types of programs piloted uh, that has the same ethos as the Marine Corps and really gets kids excited about STEM careers that serve uh, the nation then you could maybe steer some kids away from some of the Silicon Valley hype. Uh, but what happens is, uh, you, you know, if as soon as you muddy up your record with drugs or something like that, then you become unclearable. And then you've, uh, you know, what are your opportunities? Well, you can go work for a tech company that pays you a lot better and doesn't care if you've had, you know, had some drugs when you were a kid, right? So these conversations were going on for a while. When I was at the Naval College, I remember Admiral Mullins getting up in front of the whole War College and saying specifically, hey, we're, you know, the, the, the Navy of the future that you guys are going to be in is, might look a little different. You might have some kids, you know, sitting behind computers uh, fighting your war for you. And I'm paraphrasing, but, um, you know, we've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we did a podcast with Nick Gamble last week uh, from Uncork, which is a new startup with this whole no code mindset, right? So in theory, you know, uh, ensigns and uh, lieutenant commanders on a ship could actually build an app, right? Because you don't need sure. you don't need the right you know low code. Yeah. So so that definitely, and I know the Army is actually talking down in Army Futures Command about having you know uh, enlisted folks to be true developers, right, and develop. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that, that'll definitely shake up the industry a little bit if we get there. So yeah, you, I think that you run into problems with obviously the code itself or the, the programs becoming, um, acceptable in whatever, um, you know, CMMC or, or standards that we're trying to, to meet. 
So, you know, I was just talking to uh, uh, Nick Miller from AWS the other day about AWS Marketplace. And, you know, he was pitching some ideas about creating uh, an environment where you could do that kind of innovation inside of it. It's all approved and it's all basically ready to go. But, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not much of a coder myself. I think the last uh, computer programming language that I did was QBasic. So, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm just a, uh, a wallflower when it comes to talking about some of that stuff. Speaking of Amazon, you just triggered me. Uh, you know, they just stood up a, a capability to do synthetic data generation for training AI models. Uh, as part of their SageMaker program. And they're also heavily into the quantum computing, quantum telecommunication and quantum key distribution activities. Have you got any thoughts on uh, where that might fit into the future? Well, I mean, a lot of uh, the focus on quantum is on the encryption side, um, you know, because obviously if you can, uh, if you can do quantum hacking, you've got to be able to do quantum defensive quantum hacking, you know? And some people have said, we, we won't have true quantum computing until you see uh, all of the uh, remaining Bitcoin be mined instantaneously, you know? Uh, so we're not there yet. You know, some people will say that the, the actual quantum computing is, is still a ways off. Now, quantum encryption, I, I've had to talk to a number of companies that feel like they're already there through different methods. But the problem is that for instance, with symmetric encryption versus asymmetric, you know, it, the, the method of doing the encryption might not actually have any governance um, standards to it or, or um, regulation around it yet. So, uh, and once again, getting out of my depth a little bit, but um, I think the, the capability of quantum computing and quantum encryption uh, is, is very uh, important uh, for us to, to talk about and explore. And it's certainly one thing that we'd love to get involved with, but it is a little further out. Some of the things that we'll be able to do at the hubs is, is stuff that's in the near future. Yeah, I, I would oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Jim. Oh, I would, I would just say, I, I think if anything, you can get kind of this innovation back, you know, where we kind of push the envelope and Marv and I have been around a while, but like we kid of all this DevSecOps, we, we actually rode ships and wrote code on ships 30 years ago. And, I bring that up and they go, what? But that, you know, that's what the Navy was doing 30 years ago to build what today is GCCS. And I kind of go, why don't we just go back and do that? Why don't we put yeah. developers on a carrier and build an app in a week? <laughs> and, you know, and it just seems like some, some of the, some of the leadership just doesn't realize you can do that. Right. Or they give you reasons why you can't do it. So if, if Nautilus can kind of push the envelope a little bit, again, for near-term things, right? We can't wait five years for new ideas. We've got to do it quicker. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, you know, definitely, definitely some lessons learned on that. Yeah, I mean, any kind of, anytime you can do DevOps around uh, the warfighter and the sailors and Marines, then that's, that's a win for the technologists, is it to put, you know, put the, the technology. That's one of the challenges we have with the SIBR process, right? In order to get, uh, it, let's say I've, I invented something in my garage in the Midwest somewhere and I apply for Cyber phase one and I get 50 grand. And then my next phase is, okay, now go find somebody who actually would use this and get a letter of support. I'm like, how am I going to do that? Um, you know, hopefully whoever's running the Cyber is going to be giving me some opportunities 
to meet some people and put it in their in the warfighters' hands so they could, you know, look at it or kick the tire, or whatever, and say, you know what, I could use this. And once you get that feedback loop and maybe you need to do some additional prototyping on it, then you get to the phase two, the phase three, et cetera, or you get maybe you take it in another direction, you know, through an OTA. Um, but if if you can't do the DevOps cycle because the you know, developer's too far away from the operator, uh, that we call that the valley of death, you know, but really I I don't know if the valley is so much about contracting, it's, it's oftentimes about culture. Uh, yeah. A lot of the people on either side, they just don't hang out in the same space. Yeah. So I mean, there was nothing more motivating than sending a developer out on the Nimbus. He gets a cat shot. You know, what developer can come back and say, I work for a company and I've had five cat shots in the last two months. Right. Right. And I got to like work directly with a battle group commander to, to build an application. Right. As opposed, you know, again, a lot cooler. <laughs> than some of the commercial opportunities. So I think just trying sure. to bring that back. And um, again, that may rock some current cultures, but that, that might be an idea. Well, I mean, I think that really is capability that the tech bridges, naval access tech bridges bring is that they're out there next to sitting next to the war fighters. And they can, like I said earlier, they can listen to the pain points. They can uh, kind of network with different tech solutions. And some of them have very specific tech, uh, you know, foci. So, um, you know, uh, different tech stacks so they can, they can drill down even deeper. So Jim brought up uh, a good point that work that was done early on to what, what it has become the geeks program for command and control. It was really funded by operational commander out in the field, Jerry Tuttle, who peeled off his operating funds to program early desktop computers to provide command and control the way he wanted command and control provided. It never had anything to do with the acquisition community till years later when it eventually became a program of record. So um, from your perspective and where you guys are leading, perhaps the whole defense department would be better off if we started more activities straight from the operational side, used SIBRs and OTAs as vehicles to build prototype to production activities and then not got the acquisition folks involved until way later because they never tend to want to do DevOps with the real ops people. They tend to want to do DevOps with themselves and call that DevOps. I mean, in my experience, I've known some acquisition people that really are excited by early stage stuff. They're excited by OTAs and servers. And so I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to generalize about, you know, acquisition folks uh, and, in one way or another. Certainly, if you look at Public Spend Forum and Ben McMartin and you know James Pitcher, and you guys probably know a bunch of them, uh, there are some people out there that are real evangelists for um, innovation in the acquisition space, and so that that gets me excited because um, you know we've talked about acquisition warfare and we've talked about you know innovation around the the, um, uh, the acquisition process is speeded up and. If you, look, if you look back at some of my earlier podcasts, I remember talking to Pete Newell several years ago, and he said, you know, you don't, who, you know, he, he, he was in charge of the, the uh, rapid equip, equipping force for the army for a while before he went, came, went private. He said, you don't just want to speed up acquisition because if you just can buy things faster, but are still buying the wrong things, then that's not good. So, you know, there's a reason why we have a lot of due diligence around government buying, but, you know, obviously we got to address the two functions. One is buying the right things faster. 
Yeah, or I'm, well, you make, you're making a great point, though, because we got into this do loop on acquisition because it took so long to acquire anything and field it. Then the requirements process decided that they had to make requirements exactly right. So they made these requirements that are uh, take years and years to develop the requirements. And then we acquisition side, make sure that they precisely build what the requirement is. And oftentimes you don't know what the requirement is that far in advance, and you don't know what the technology is going to be to support the requirements. So that's why I'm such a big fan of prototype to production, which OTAs and the kind of work you're talking about open up for us. Yeah. I mean, people like to say that you're always building stuff to fight the last war you just finished, you know? And if you look at, uh, you know, uh, Christian Bros's book, Kill Chain, you know, one of his initial critiques is that, uh, we're always building uh, platforms instead of capabilities. Yep, great you know? book, by the way. Um, and that particular point, I think, is uh, a worthy debate. Um, you know, because I think Enduril is building an operating system, right, for war. That's what they say. So the, the debate should be like, well, is that a platform or is that a capability? Um, and you know, those who build platforms, obviously, whether it's an aircraft carrier or something else, tend to dominate. The, the industry, you know? Um, and so there, there is obviously an attraction to, to becoming a company or a group of companies that can build platforms. Um, and there is some stability, I think, potentially in, um, in national security to relying on something like a platform because it communicates well. Um, to try to boil something down to saying it's capability is, you know, it's a nuance, but you know, at the end of the day, you have to communicate what are we trying to achieve and what are the tools to achieve it? <laughs> yeah, I had somebody explain it's kind of like you have to have this co-opetition involvement where you have the large integrators who have the stability in the platform. But if you don't have the the innovators that are driving them nuts and always challenging them, you, you know, you, you'll get stale. Right. So kind of, the, you know, kind of that fail faster model. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that's the challenge. Have we been failing because we have an acquisition culture sometimes not to fail ever. Right. And then we don't ever try anything new and we just keep doing the old stuff. So it's definitely a, you know, definitely a huge discussion. And maybe that's part of these naval X's is start to do things where we can fail faster and throw out some new ideas, new ideas that are just different. Yeah. Defense works. We're kind of on the, on the risk profile. We like to, you know, uh, learn from our failures and not fail too often, you know, cause we're, we're working obviously with government dollars. You have to take a calculated risk. And, you know, if you look at DARPA and IARPA, they're in their slogan is high risk, high reward. Um, and so, you know, on the spectrum of risk, uh, you have mean shots and you have lean startup and those are two opposite ends of the innovation spectrum. So a lean startup is to fail fast, you know, fail forward. Uh, and then the moonshot is like, well, fail every single time because we might win one out of a hundred, and that might get us to the moon. You know, so uh, both both are valuable. We're probably somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, uh, and we value both sides. You know, we we play with organizations that are on both sides of that spectrum. So we've been going about thirty minutes. I wondered if you had any uh, final parting ideas that you would like to share. I just want to invite anyone who's listening to visit our new website, nautilus22.org. And if you're a company or you're an academic, or uh, even if you're just a transitioning veteran, uh, 
please uh, sign up for the email list. There's a button that says join the ecosystem and uh, you can become a part of that network. And if you're part of the network, then you'll most likely get an invitation to an event and then you can start to uh, participate in some of the things we're talking about as far as DevOps and you know, providing solutions for sailors and Marines. And thanks again for the yeah. opportunity to be on the podcast. Yeah, that's excellent. And I, and I assume you're going to still do the Grand Plaster podcast? I am. I have a bunch of backlogged uh, episodes I need to upload. I haven't been able to do it over the last month and a half because I've been a little busy. But, uh, you know, sometime on the weekend, I'll, I'll get those uploaded and, and we'll have a lot more. We have uh, several good guests that I've recorded and some, some other ones lined up. And how do people reach you to find that? I'm all over LinkedIn. If people want to reach me on LinkedIn, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> all right Jim, all right, you got any final thoughts? no thanks graham and uh look forward to and if you ever need a place out in san diego we've got the facility so we'll, we look forward you know maybe in the cold winter months of january and february you can you can come back out that'd be great yeah i'd love to collaborate in san diego i lived in san diego and i, I miss it so thank you for the invitation thank you for the time it's been an excellent discussion